God has a word for you today. Will you receive it? Will your heart be ready? Well, if you are ready, would you open your Bibles right where you stand? Don't, don't sit down just yet. Just stay standing. I want to read just a couple of Scriptures. It's going to set the framework for what I believe God wants to do today. If you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible, take your neighbours. I could say find a Christian, but that would be a little mean, wouldn't it? 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in week two now. We're in week two of our series dust and clay and we're two weeks out from five conference that's coincidental you can't plan that kind of stuff <laughs> week two two weeks out uh from what is going to be a move of god and uh and as i said last week we're getting ourselves revival ready as a church yes, you gotta be ready you gotta be on your toes you don't want to miss it you don't want revival to sweep by you and you missed it because you're on your heels get on your toes today so we're getting on our toes as a church, getting revival ready. And um, I want to read our series scripture to start us off. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But... We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Put your finger there and turn over to Judges chapter 7 in the Old Testament. Could you do that with me? I want to read a, one passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. And it's in Judges chapter 7 verse 19. It says, It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew their ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their, blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands. And they all shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. I'm excited for the Word of God today. I'm really pumped for the Word. I don't know if you're ready for the Word of God. You need to get on my level today because I'm excited for the Word of God. And as we get revival ready as a church, I want to teach us how revival breaks out. I want to teach us how revival breaks out. This is going to be important to know as a church community, how revival breaks out. And so if you want to ready your hearts for the Word of God, find 32 people around you and high-five them real quick. Could you do that real quick? Go, get them all. Get them all. High-five them. High-five them. Come on, San Francisco. Come on, Oaktown. Come on, San Jose online. Viva Roma. Ciao. Come on. Amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and grab your seats. You definitely didn't get 32 people. So it is my birthday today. Thank you for all your well wishes. It is very much appreciated. Very encouraging. And, uh, you know, we had a funny uh, weekend, a celebration weekend. Because I was born in Australia, which means I get two birthdays. I get an Australian birthday, which is yesterday, and I get an American birthday, which is today. And I will juice that for as long as I live, I'm telling you. And, uh, and so yesterday, however, being my Australian birthday, we, we, we were pretty low-key. It was low-key birthday, and uh, knowing because Sunday's pretty big in our household, got work on Sunday, so 
So we kind of make sure we don't go too crazy on Saturday. We, we take it out, take it easy. And, and my, my girls took me out for brunch. That was delicious. And then we decided in the evening, why don't we just do like a, a movie night as a family? But I don't know how it goes in your house. There's always tension around which movie to pick. You know, because it's got to be kid appropriate. It's got to be something they like, something I like. And, and that's always a tension. And so I decided, I went online looking at, just get creative. I went online and looked at what movies were made in the year I was born, in 1980. You know, just try and start something. And, uh, and I don't know if you've seen a little movie called The Empire Strikes Back. I don't know if you've seen that. That came out that year, good year. There was a lesser known movie called The Blue Lagoon. And this is how, this is how we're going to know how vintage you really are. Because some people claim to know things, but you didn't live that long. How many people remember The Blue Lagoon? Any, oh, oh, wow. There we go. Got some people in my vintage. There's, there's one movie. Now, I don't expect anyone to know this movie. You have to be a connoisseur of movies to know this movie. But in 1980, a movie was made called Xanadu. Now, how many people know Xanadu? Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. People are singing the theme song. Now... Now, about this movie had Olivia Newton-John in it and probably Australia's best export. And, uh, but what's cool about this movie is not only was it made in 1980, the year I was born, but my wife, Kira, was named after the lead actress who the muse in that movie was named Kira. And, and I don't know, I don't know, yeah, I know you're not excited, but that earns me points today. But it makes me think, what movies are like old school? How many people remember E.T.? Anybody know E.T.? How many people remember The Goonies? Probably the greatest movie ever made, The Goonies. The Goonies never die. In fact, then I was looking through uh, the list of movies. I'm just going to talk for a little bit. Is that cool? We'll get to the sermon. We'll get to some Bible in a minute. But I'm going down memory lane just for a second. Anybody, maybe you had to see this in school, uh, but anybody see the movie Outbreak? Outbreak where you had like a virus that pretty much killed the whole world, you know, and put the fear of the Lord in everybody and made you OCD from that day. Like now you're on subways, like arms in your pockets. Like anybody, one of those people, you travel with a face mask on. You're freaking us out, okay? Freaking us all out. Don't do that. I don't care how Asian you are. You're not allowed to wear that here, okay? Freaking us out. I love you. I love you. Too soon? Too soon from what? Like some virus. Anyway, what was I saying? Anyway, that movie Outbreak, I remember seeing that movie freaking out. And I was thinking about it because, you know, in the movie, if you haven't seen it, it ends up, they have to find the host. They have to find patient zero to really find the cure. And it ends up being this monkey that, that is carrying the virus. And it showed me the power of one, <laughs> one, what one person or one animal, one element can do. In fact, the Bible has an outbreak story of its own known as Gideon. This is the connection. You see how seamless that is. Gideon, Gideon as a Bible character is often seen or referred to in Scripture as the zero to hero uh, person of faith, the, the guy who comes out of obscurity and really mobilizes an army and leads the nation into victory. But I wonder if 
the life of Gideon could be identified more accurately as recognizing significance more than realizing success. In fact, Gideon, we know from Scripture, was an Israelite. He was a part of God's own people. That was because way back from Abraham, God had a desire to carve out of all the nations in the world His very own people. A people through which He could you know, release His provision. A people where He could reveal His glory. A people through who He would know and recognize as being their God, the only only caveat to that or in return, what they had to do was worship Him as God alone. Have no other God but Him as God. And this was evident through divine intervention. It was evident through supernatural provision. It was what would be only described as the, heavy, the evident hand of God on that nation through battles and through protection. They saw Yahweh as their God. And so what we see, in fact, even Peter in the New Testament articulates it like this. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, those who now put their faith in Christ Jesus also become a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. First Peter 2.9. So not only was it for the Israelites, now we are all God's special possession. Yet what we see through the narrative of the Old Testament is that the very people of God that He carved out from every other people consistently strayed from their end of the bargain. They, they did evil in the Lord's sight. And so for seven years, we find that God's hand had lifted off the Israelites. So now, without the protection of Yahweh, Gideon and the Israelites were now susceptible to the attacks of their enemies, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And this is where we find Gideon under oppression from the Midianites, or the other ites, the gigabytes and <laughs> cellulites. They're terrible ites. <laughs> Banish them. <laughs> now, what is evident in Scripture is not always so easy to see in our lives. Would you agree? Yes. Because what could be confusing is through the way you live and what you see in your life, how it doesn't actually always line up to the level which with your called in the Bible. I'm talking about how in the Bible, the Bible tells you that you are more than an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. But yet we live with poverty and we live under pressure and often subject to the opinions of others. So how do we line up with what the Word of God says with what we see in our life? In fact, this was no different for Gideon. Gideon wrestled this tension. Gideon was challenged by this tension as well. And in fact, what we see in Judges chapter 6, if we go back a chapter, we'll see, check it out. Judges chapter 6, verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord has brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Gideon is a little confused. Gideon is being literally called of God, but yet can't, he can't reconcile this in his life. He's like, oh, okay, so this is what the hand of God looks like, is it? To be constantly under oppression, 
to be constantly under, on the run from the enemies, to, 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 to know what it is to have no help, to, to be marginalized, to be pushed out of our own land. I thought we were meant to be the people of God is what he's saying. He's got a little bit of attitude, this Gideon. Because it's been seven years, man. It's been seven years where they've been under attack. Marauders have taken every crop that they've grown. They're hiding in caves. They're meant to be the chosen ones of God. They're meant to be the people of God, but yet they're on the outcast, pushed out of their own land. He's like, I thought we we're meant to be blessed. And you're telling me that the Lord is with me in exactly which way is the Lord with me? Mm. Feel the attitude in the Scripture. Check out what the Lord says. I like the way the Lord works. Not even face. says in verse 14, Then the Lord uh, turned to him and said, Go with the strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. But Lord, here comes the emotion again. Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I'm the least in my entire family now if you thought calling was tough to wrestle through what about wrestling through the idea of calling when you know that you've got cracks because we're talking about clay jars over this series called Dust and Clay. We're talking about how the Bible constantly connects humanity with the idea of clay and dust, that we're formed from dust, that God breathed life into dust and man was formed. We're talking about how we're constantly referred to as God as the potter, us as the clay, and that we're like these earthen vessels, this image of a fragile, brittle, easily broken vessel. And I can connect with that. And yet this is what it can be confusing in our life is when we know we're called, but we know we've got cracks. Damage. I'm talking about areas in our life where we've been hurt. Areas in life where we're not perfect. Areas where I would not say I'm a good candidate for the calling of God. And Gideon knows this. He, he sees this. He sees this in his own life. And this is what can be so confusing as a Christian is when I try to live up to the high calling of Christ on my life, yet I carry around these cracks that are so visible. Maybe not to everybody else, but certainly to me. These cracks. And in fact, if we, like I've got a clay jar here and last week I had a nice clay jar. I apologize about that because that wasn't so accurate. A nice polished clay jar. Well, at least not to my life, maybe to your life. Maybe you're super polished. Maybe you're well presented. But if I think of my life, it's more kind of like, like this, a little damaged, a little dented, a little brittle. If I push too hard, I'm definitely going to crack this thing. And it's got exposed cracks. And sometimes I feel like this is what people see. The cracks in the jar. We've got the dents in the clay. And so this is what can be confusing when, how do I marry that up with the high calling I have in Christ? When God speaks about victory, when God speaks about being an overcomer, when God speaks about, about the calling and the purpose through which He's called us for greatness, but yet I'm so fragile, God. I don't know about you, but I get emotional sometimes. Sometimes I can be a little bit too sensitive for my own good. Sometimes I can carry offense real easy. Sometimes some of those emails do get through, you know what I mean? And you can carry some cracks and dents in your life. And this is what Gideon was feeling. He's like, you're out here calling me hero. But let me tell you about this so-called hero. Firstly, my clan is straight up the weakest in all the clans. And you pick the worst dude because I am the weakest in my clan. My clan's the weakest and I'm the weakest of the weakest clan. You got this all wrong. You, you, you're way off on your radar on biblical heroes here. This ain't 
me. In other words, Gideon was saying, I got some cracks. I got some dents. I got some chips. I'm, I'm a little brittle. I don't know if I'm in the right place to do anything that God calls me to do. In fact, I like what he says. The Lord says, regardless of his own complaining, it says in verse 16, then the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. God is calling Gideon to bring revival to the nation, but yet Gideon sees all the obstacles. Did, did you like taking notes last week? Wasn't that fun? Why don't we try that for two weeks in a row? Just, just as an exercise, why don't we try it for two weeks in a row? We're going to be a note-taking church. And, and this is not your excuse to not clap and say amen and get rowdy in church. But, but back, just be really good at putting the pen down when you need to and picking it up when you need to. And I'm going to give you a few things to write down, especially for those who are rookies at note-taking. We're going to, we're going to go through a little note-taking masterclass today in church because you're going to remember this stuff the more you take notes, right? It's not just going to bless you on Sunday. It's going to bless you all through the week when you need to refer back to the areas in your life that God wants to break through. And in order for us to see revival break out, I want you to write down, for revival to break out, God has to break in. Could you write that down? For revival to break out, God first needs to break in. And, and this is not a little plug for our conference. It's not a little advertisement, a little ad break in the middle of the sermon. But in two weeks, we do have a phenomenal conference called Vive Conference taking place. And, and, you know, this is the one time in the year where we come together as a church in person where we've got our Vive Room team coming. And, and I, am, I am so believing that this is going to be the spark of revival. Yes. Now, I know the front row get pumped about that, but everyone else here are thinking, Pastor, <laughs> how will revival break out? I don't know what voice that is. It's like, you said Southern Belle. I thought I was going for like, you know, ghetto girl or something like that. But it's close, right? And so you're asking, get back with me. Come on. You're asking how on earth will a conference break out revival? Like, how is the city of San Francisco and the Bay Area and talk about Rome, how are they going to be different as a result of a whole, whole bunch of church folk gathering together for a weekend? Like, will the city of San Jose even know about it? Will the mayor, like, just, just cause a national day off or a city day off? I don't think they have that power. A day off because revival is all of a sudden broken out in the Bay Area. Probably not. But that's because you don't know how revival breaks out. Because you're thinking for revival to break out, it means a city being changed. That's not how revival starts. Revival always starts in one person. <sighs> revival starts in you is what I'm trying to say. And this is what happens when we gather together, when we place ourselves in an atmosphere where God can increase our faith and God can challenge us in areas and God can mobilize us in areas where it takes one person for God to put the spark or the call or the anointing within you. And because of what's in you, God breaks into your life. All of a sudden, revival begins. And this is what God is trying to do with, with Gideon. God is trying to get Gideon into a place where he can literally put in and break through the areas or the blockages that he was holding God back for why revival couldn't break out. Did you know that every single step of the way, Gideon was fearful? Like every step. He was unsure. No matter, you're hearing the voice of God. 
Like God's dialoguing with you under a tree. And yet he's still unsure. And every single step, he makes sure God will clarify himself. And like, like we've got this statement, and I don't know if you've ever used it before, if you've heard it before, you know, just fleece it, you know, put a fleece out. That comes from Gideon. Because he literally put a fleece out, like a literal fleece. He, 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 God told him to go up against the, the Midianites. And so what does Gideon do? He's like, cool, I hear you, but I want to make sure. And don't be too quick to judge Gideon because you do exactly the same. Like, God, if this is you, give me three green lights in a row. You know what I mean? God, if I am the highly favoured of the Lord, open up a parking spot right now. hating on Gideon. But Gideon literally, he, he takes a fleece and he says, God, I know what you're saying, but sometimes, sometimes I don't know if it's God, if it was a spicy curry last night, if, because sometimes crazy sounds like you, you know what I mean? But God will talk in the crazy realm. God will call you to go and leave your country and start church in a whole nother land you've never been to before. So God can tell, you want to fleece that. And so he says, he says, look God, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lay a fleece out tonight. And if by morning the, the fleece is wet, but the ground is dry, then I'll know it's you. No doubt. No doubt in my mind. Sure enough, he comes out the next morning, the fleece is wet. He can wring it out wet, but the ground is bone dry. But no one Gideon, he says, you know what? That could have been coincidence. So <laughs> you can read this in the Bible for yourself. He says, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to put the fleece out again, but tonight I'm going to do it backwards. I want, I want to see when the, when the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then no doubt it'll be you. This is what Gideon does. God does it. And then, you know, there's no arguing with God. But every time what I find is that God does not break off fear because that's what we want God to do. Like if God's going to call me, then he's going to break fear off my life. But he never breaks the fear off. He always breaks in to the area of doubt and uncertainty and reassures him every step of the way. Oh, we want God to break it off. But God says, no, I'm going to break in. I'm going to break in. And this is what we see with Gideon. God breaks right into the area of fear that is in his life. And so what we see is this is how revival works because he doesn't want to just break into your fear. He wants to start revival in you. That's where revival starts. I heard one revivalist one time says, you want to pray for revival? Draw a circle on the ground and then step in and say, God started in here. I know we want to start out there, but God says, I've got to start it in here first doesn't break fear off. He breaks in. In fact, this is what God is always... You know the purpose of prayer? I think sometimes we think the purpose of prayer is to ask God for stuff. Because that's the way we pray. We come to God in prayer. We've got a whole list ready to go. We've got a whole list of prayer requests. We've got prayer requests. And I've got nothing against praying for things and asking for things. I do it every day. Don't worry. But maybe there is a higher purpose to prayer than just asking God for what we don't have. I think the purpose of prayer is actually realigning or God reminding us of what we do have, but what we don't think we have, but God reminding us of what we have and what we're praying for is actually what we don't need. Good message. If you don't have it, you don't need it. So God will use prayer to remind us and align us with what it is He's already given us because revival starts in you. Revival doesn't just start in you. Revival starts when you. 
Come on, let's go, let's go. Revival starts when you, when you step out of a place of comfort, when you step out of apathy, when you step beyond your excuses, when you step out and activate what God has already given you. So for revival to break out, God has to break in. Secondly, I like that, but also for revival to break out, God needs to break down. Can we talk about this for a second? I got three of these. This is number two. For revival to break out, God needs to break down. Have you ever faced an impossible task? Three people. What am I doing wrong? Come on, let's be a participatory church. How many people have faced an impossible task before? In fact, if you've got, you haven't got your hand up, I'm going to pray for you because I dare say you haven't done anything for God because God always walks, walks and works and walks in the realm of the impossible. In fact, if it's possible, God said, you go ahead and do it. But if it's impossible, then that means we have to have God every element of the way. In fact, can I tell you this? I'm just going to remove the blinders, pull back the curtains for a moment, show you the way that God works. The whole purpose of the task is less about you achieving something and more about you realizing I need Him every single step of the way. We often think that the call of God comes with greater independence. You've got to get that wrong. You're twisted. God's purpose for the calling is that you would walk in greater dependence with every single step. Knowing I need Him. Knowing this is beyond me. When you just thought you figured it out, then you realize, man, I've got a long way to go. God, I need you. And what we see in the impossible task, if we go over to Judges chapter 7, we'll find that this is the case for Gideon. Here Gideon's put out the fleece and God's confirmed that he called him. In fact, he's also been able to recruit and mobilise 30,000 troops to fight with him. But then they get a glimpse of the enemy and they realise that the enemy is more numerous than the sand on the seashore. So it doesn't matter how good your 30,000 troops are, you are far outnumbered. But the Bible records this and check it out. In fact, let's just go ahead and read it in Judges chapter 7. It says in verse 1, So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped uh, north of them in the valley uh, near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. (laughs) Gideon's like, Really? Okay. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they have saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore tell all the people, whoever is timid or afraid, may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them took off. Like 22,000 saw their opportunity and said, I'm out. All they had to say, anyone a little frightened? You can go. And then they, 22,000. I mean, Gideon's probably like, great. Great. Well done, Lord. 22,000. Only 10,000 were left. But the Lord told Gideon, there's still too many. Okay, bring them down to the spring and I'll I'll test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide them into two groups. In one group, put all those who who cup the water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And in the other group, put those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 out of 10,000, only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you. Not even the 9,700 group. With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. 
God takes an impossible task and makes it tougher. Like makes it more impossible. I mean, the odds were already stacked against Gideon. But God breaks down Gideon's army even further. And we see that God's reason for this, it's written in the Scripture, was so that when they won the battle, they would not attribute victory by their own hand. In fact, this is what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, our series Scripture, when he says we are like clay jars, so that this all-surpassing power we would know is from God and not us. So that we wouldn't get it twisted at any moment and realise that the victories that we find in our life come from ourselves, but we would recognise and acknowledge that they come from the Lord. So what God will do, and I don't know if we want to hear this in this good Christian church, God will sometimes break things down in your life to produce a humility in your life so that you will not forget that it is the Lord your God that is your provider. Oh, I don't know if you're mature enough to hear this word. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you want to go back to the place where we talk about God loves you, God wants to bless you, God's got good gifts for you. You don't want to hear about how sometimes God will literally break things down in your life to produce humility in your life. Because if He did not, you would get so far ahead of your life, of yourself, you would find yourself in a place where you're relying on your own strength. And God, oh, how do I say this? How do I say this, Fibs? God gets the glory. God doesn't get the glory because He's so needy, He needs glory. God doesn't get the glory because He needs to be reminded that He's God. God needs the glory because you need to be reminded of where His love comes from, the faithfulness of His love and the provision He has for every single step. This is, this is why we tithe as believers. This is so weird to people who don't believe. That the people that, that love the Lord, their God, that go to church, they bring a tenth of their income. To, to, you mean to give one tenth? Like a whole tenth? I mean, that's a lot of money in the Bay Area. But it's a biblical principle because we constantly have the opportunity to remind ourselves of where our provision comes from. And when we return to the Lord and we glorify Him with our finances, we don't rest in our own strength. We don't rely in our own pay packet. Our source is not our provider. Our provider doesn't come from our employer. Our source is the Lord. So no matter the economy, no matter the opposition, my God will provide because I know He has been faithful and He has shown me. Oh, you don't want to hear this truth. You know what would grow a really big church when we had a comfortable church? Oh, there's plenty of them. Mega churches. Big churches where everyone comes in, no challenge, you're not gonna get challenged, you're just gonna be blessed. You're gonna, I'm not even gonna talk about finances, I'm not gonna talk about sex and marriage, I'm not gonna talk about all that kind of stuff. We're just gonna let you stay comfortable. We're gonna ruffle your feathers, and then everyone comes in, feels nice, feel fuzzy. Talk about how good was church today. But God didn't call us here to start a church. Did you know that? God called us here to start revival. Church is simply the vehicle to challenge and mobilize the people of God to get them unstuck in their life and get them on a journey where they'll begin to walk out the very purpose of God. This is a mobilization station. This is to get you moving. This is to get you walking. This is to get you unstuck, get you uncomfortable, get you challenged in the place of complacency, move out of comfort and begin to be the answer for a hurt and dying world. 
so what we've got, we've got Gideon. Gideon's being challenged. Gideon's being broken down. And I dare say, this is the encouraging part of this. If you're facing a breakdown in your life, it's a good indicator that God's setting you up for something. God could be setting you up for something. God, that may be your cue to praise God. That may be your very cue to praise God. God, thank you that my job quit on me. Thank you that I'm out on my own. Thank you that it's a reminder of where my source is. God, maybe you set me up for something right now. So I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to praise even beyond my circumstance. I'm going to bless the Lord who is my source. I want to preach so much. Here's the problem. We, we fail to recognise the setup. It's what we fail to do. We fail to see the setup. What do I mean? Well, we see the problem, but not the provision. We see our failures, but not His favour. We see the opposition, but we miss the opportunity for God to remind us of who He is. Who He is, who He is. You know, when we were... When we were planning to, uh, when God spoke to us about planning a church here, and I, I've talked about this many times, I'll talk about this for the rest of my life because it was huge for us. And sometimes we make it sound simple. You know, God just took us to another country, started a church. It's not that easy. But I used to think that, uh, you know, if God calls you, then, then He'll also make a way for you, right? Right? And that sounds really good in theory. In fact, people would throw this at us oh, there's always provision for the vision. Sounds good. Sound, people would tell us all the time, there's provision for the vision. Because vision in provision is in the vision, so it sounds good, must be real. Do you know what we found? We found that there were obstacles for the vision. We found there was opposition to the vision. We did not find the provision for the vision. We found obstacle after obstacle that required us to be on our knees and pray and believe for the miraculous every single step of the way. But I realised that's the way in which God works. Otherwise, you would attribute it to your own skills, your ability to raise funds, your ability to get people on the vision. But when you walk dependent on God, you're reminded every step that He is going to be there today. He will be there tomorrow, just like He was there before. God's going to break down. And just maybe God will frustrate some areas of your life so that you will step out in faith and finally step into what He's called you to do. So for revival to break out, God's going to break in. Secondly, He's got to break down. And thirdly, God needs to break open. We see this in the narrative of, of what God does in positioning Gideon with his 300 men within the enemy camp. And it's a simple strategy from God, which was this. Put a torch in a clay jar and, and, that, and then position yourself. He's only got 300 men. So position yourself within the enemy's camp. And what we established from week one of this series is that throughout the Bible, we see that humanity is always connected to this thing. I said this earlier, clay jars, jars of clay, fragile, brittle, in fact, easily broken. And yet what could be confusing because we're also connected to the image of we are the clay, He is the potter, He's shaping us and molding us. 
In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians 3.10, we are His masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So whilst I'm comfortable with the idea of being a clay jar, I can't see myself as a masterpiece. I'm going to be real honest with you. I know me. You know you. And that's where we struggle is to see, what are you talking about? I'm a masterpiece? Oh no, I'm a fragile clay jar. I get that. How am I meant to be the very masterpiece of God? How am I meant to fulfill the calling? I got cracks. I got dance, I got chips. Maybe God should have, if He wanted to build a masterpiece, maybe He should have chosen better materials. As I said, what would be empowering would be to be a cast iron bowl. Can handle the heat, can handle the dense. But if He wanted to build a masterpiece, He should have used some materials that are a bit more robust. Because I know me, I'm... I'm sensitive at times. It's the truth. I carry chips. I get hurt. I carry dents. I hold fear. Sometimes I find it hard to have faith. In fact, what we find is, if I'm going to be honest with you, we don't necessarily feel like we reflect the glory of God real good. Because the glory of God is powerful. The glory of God is mighty. But when I look at my life, knowing do I make mistakes, I know I've got mistakes that I'm going to make. So it's even hard for me to make commitments to God. Like, I'm going to be better, God, because I know me. Am I being too real? I know my struggles. These cracks talk about my failings and my faults and my frailties represent the broken pieces of my life and the truth is these are the areas that we spend so much of our time trying to cover up social media has served us a fantastic tool for this to present a picture perfect life it's what religion will do too it'll cover up the struggles it will present perfection but no matter how much people don't see we see We know. We know we're flawed. We know we're fragmented. We know we carry cracks. But I wonder if maybe God knew what He was doing with the materials He chose to use. Could it be that God in all His wisdom was perfect in His selection of the material, the fragile material in which He made us. Because when I look at the clay jar, I see the cracks. I see the faults. I see the failings. But Paul says something interesting. He he says, but we also have in this clay jar the light of the Gospel. And maybe what God is wanting to emphasise is not the external, but what I've put in you. That maybe when you take this frailed life, when you take these struggles, when you take these broken pieces, on their own, sure, it's not very impressive. On their own, sure, it's kind of embarrassing. On their own, sure, you kind of want to hide this and mask it because you don't need people to see all that. But maybe it's different when it's connected to the light of His grace. 
maybe in conjunction with the glory of God, the very cracks, the very dents, the very things that we try to hide, maybe they have a purpose. Because what I realize, and maybe I could do a little school experiment with you, because the cracked jug all on its own actually kind of seems ugly. But when I put the light of the gospel in it, those very cracks reveal in great definition the light of God's grace. <laughs> Oh, go with me, go with me. This is a little science experiment right now. But it's powerful to know that what God wants to remind you is before you saw all the cracks. But now those same cracks that you were trying to hide are the very avenue through which the glory of Christ begins to be revealed. But without the cracks, I don't get to see the light. But because of the cracks, the light of His Gospel begins to shine through. The light of His grace begins to illuminate the world. People don't see my cracks. What they see is someone forgiven. What they see is someone now glorified in Christ. They don't see the shame. They don't see the pain. They see the fact that God would take someone cracked, broken and brittle and He would be the person through which His light would stream. Amen. You know what's crazy? The more cracks, the more light. Oh, you've got one little dent? Good for you. Look how many I have. You know what I think? If this is what God can do with some cracks, imagine what He could do with what's broken. In fact, that's what it takes for revival to break out. God has to first break some things in our life. God has to break open the lids that we've been holding down. You know who's been determining revival? We have. We're like this, God. I want it to happen, but God, I'm not going to move. God says, come on, would you break open your life? Would you bust off the lid? Would you break off fear? Come on, would you begin to move in faith and watch as the Gospel goes out through the very vessels that I've chosen to use, the cracked vessels, the broken vessels, the chipped dead fragile vessels. They're the vessels I want to use and I will shine my glory through them in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet, stand to your feet. This preaching's way too good for you to sit down. Presence of God is here and He's choosing fragile, broken vessels. You thought that you had opposition to being used, but you thought you were too bad for God. God says, I can do something with those cracks and dents. I can, man, that's perfect. Come with your cracked up self. Watch as I deposit my glory. On their own, they're shameful. But in the light of God's grace, they're useful. I don't know who this was for today. I don't know who this was for today. But someone needed a reminder that God wants to use the areas you've been hiding, the areas you've been covering up, the areas you've been carrying shame. The very things you've been trying to hide are the areas through God wants to move. Because if God can do it for you, then surely He can do it for somebody else. We hope you are blessed by this podcast. If you have a story about what God's done or what He's doing in your life, we'd love to hear it. Send us an email at mystory at vivechurch.org.